Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, a presentation of Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee, a servant of the Lord for over seven decades, culminated his ministry with a 21-year book-by-book exposition of the entire Bible, which he called Life Study. This Life Study is the basis for our program today and includes short portions of the spoken messages given by Witness Lee. Now, let's join today's program. As Christians, are we bound to keep the commandments and ordinances of the Old Testament? This is a hard question for believers, even today. But it was more difficult for the saints in the first century. And it posed the first serious challenge to the oneness of the body of Christ. We'll look at this problem of the early church and how God's sovereignty is displayed in its resolution on today's Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program furnished by Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee, a faithful servant of Christ and devoted co-worker of Watchman Nee in China, began this life study of the Bible in 1974 and completed it 21 years later. Ron Kangas is with us as we look at a problem regarding how we as believers relate to the Old Testament law. Welcome back, Ron. It's good to have you today. Thank you, Chris. A problem of enormous implication surfaces in Acts chapter 15. I think before we begin a discussion of this whole issue, it would be good to read a few of the key verses uh, just to give our listeners a good background. Again, this is Acts 15, beginning at verse 1 through verse 5. And certain men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when no little dissension and discussion with them came about through Paul and Barnabas, The brothers directed Paul and Barnabas and certain others among them to go up to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem concerning this question. And when they arrived in Jerusalem, they were received by the church, by the apostles and the elders, and they declared the things that God had done with them. But certain men from the sect of the Pharisees who had believed rose up from among them, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to charge them to keep the law of Moses. Ron, what is the issue that is revealed in these verses that we're going to focus on today and in our coming program? In order to understand this accurately, we need to make a very clear distinction between the moral law of God revealed in the Ten Commandments and the ceremonial law, the ritual law of the ordinances such as circumcision, uh, a certain kind of diet, the way of keeping the Sabbath. The moral law of God is a revelation of God's nature and character that can never be set aside. So we're absolutely not suggesting in any way that the law in the sense of the moral law in the Ten Commandments is no longer applicable. The whole issue is the ceremonial law, the religious practices that characterize the Jews, principally circumcision, then so many regulations regarding eating, your diet, what you could eat, with whom you could eat, plus requirements concerning the Sabbath. So this is the distinction. Certain real believers who came out of the 
party or school of the Pharisees, they, on the one hand, believed certain crucial things concerning the Lord, but they were absolutely still zealous for the ceremonial law, the ritual law, and circumcision. They were so zealous that some of them, on their own, without fellowship, went out from Jerusalem and began to contact the believers among the Gentiles, many of whom, if not most, had been brought to the Lord and to salvation through the gospel preaching of Paul and Barnabas and their co-workers. Now here come these religious ones demanding that these new converts be circumcised and to keep the law. They said, you cannot be saved unless you're circumcised. When they said this, the matter became an issue of heresy, of the basic truth of the gospel. So there certainly was, and there should have been, much resistance by the believers, by Paul and Barnabas. So the brothers made the decision to send Paul and Barnabas and others to Jerusalem. Why Jerusalem? Not because Jerusalem was a headquarters. There is no head church in the New Testament. It is because Jerusalem was the source of this problem. These Pharisaic believers, law-keeping believers, circumcision-advocating believers, came out from Jerusalem. Surely, the apostles and elders in Jerusalem bear some responsibility for this. That is why the council described in Acts 15 was held in Jerusalem with the apostles, the elders, the representatives of the circumcision party, Peter and his co-workers, Paul and Barnabas. All of them were on the scene to address a matter of the faith of what is required for salvation, to address the issue of the truth of the gospel. This was not some trivial debate regarding some details related to aspects of prophecy that are not items of the faith. This issue was at the core of the gospel truth and of God's way of salvation. It had to be addressed and it had to be resolved. That was the background of Acts 15. So circumcision per se was not really the issue, but what circumcision represented. So that's the whole issue of the Mosaic law that is uh, challenging the oneness of the church. The real issue is God intended to have a thorough transfer out of the dispensation of law into the new covenant dispensation of grace. What was there in Jerusalem in a prevailing way was a mixture of these two. And in the context of that mixture, there were some who were not satisfied with saying, we Jews will still practice circumcision. We Jewish believers will still follow the ordinances concerning eating. They were not satisfied with that. They went out trying to tell the new believers among the Gentiles, you have to become Jews in effect. You have to become like us. 
This is an extremely crucial issue. Of course, it affected the oneness of the church because the genuine oneness of the church is intrinsically related to the revealed truth of God, especially concerning salvation. If someone teaches error concerning the person of Christ as the only begotten Son of God, or teaches error concerning salvation by grace through faith, there cannot possibly be oneness because the base of oneness, the truth, is being attacked. So this was a momentous issue. Of course it affected the oneness. Of course it affected the dispensational transfer. But here it was for the sake of the Gentiles to preserve the truth of the gospel, especially concerning salvation by grace. Let's go ahead and join Witness Lee for the first section of our life study today. Chapter 15 is very crucial in God's dispensation. The uh, real trouble in this chapter has actually come to the surface that uh, some of the so-called Christian believers from Jerusalem came down to Antioch to uh, teach people that uh, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of uh, Moses, you cannot be saved. This is terrible heresy. This annuls Christ's redemption, and this annuls God's grace, and this annuls the entire New Testament economy of God. So Paul and uh, Barnabas just couldn't tolerate with such a heresy. But here, I'd like to point out, actually, this problem should not go down to Antioch that far. These uh, heretical ones, they should have done much in the same way in Jerusalem already. But we didn't hear, we didn't know that Peter and James did something to uh, deal with this uh, heresy. The source of this heresy was Jerusalem. It was there in Jerusalem. And Peter and James, they were the first group of uh, the apostles and uh, elders there in Jerusalem. They should have taken care of these before such a problem would go down to uh, the Gentile church. You cannot say they uh, should not be held for responsibility. They should be held responsible for these kind of uh, heretical situation. It was too late for Paul and Barnabas to deal with this matter in Antioch. And uh, they had to go up uh, to Jerusalem to get the things done at the source and from the source. In our concept, we consider Peter so high. And in our concept, as in the ancient believers, we also consider James so godly, so pious. And both Peter and James were so good. So when we come to chapter 15 and read this chapter, we couldn't have a proper view into the real situation because of our kind of unfair understanding we couldn't have the proper insight to get into the heart of this trouble. 
actually, the heart of this trouble is not these few heretical student elders. The heart of the trouble is Peter and James. Peter was there when the Lord Jesus gave them the preparation in chapter 1. In chapter 1, the Lord Jesus prepared them, telling them that the Lord have appointed them to be his witnesses, not only to the people in Jerusalem and in Judea, but also to the people in that mixture of blood in Samaria. Even, listen, to the remotest part of the earth. Wasn't this word more than clear? Such a charge, such a commandment, such a strong word, they should not forget. Peter should stand up, James should confirm that the Lord Jesus did tell them that they had to go to the Gentiles, not only to the uh, mixed Samaritans, but also to the typical Gentile, even to the remotest part of the earth. That means to all the Gentiles. If they would stand on the Lord's word, who can argue? They, Peter and James, I mean, they should have then a thorough dealing to cut off this kind of group, to cut off this kind of heresy there in Jerusalem to what? To just kill the source. The trouble was due to negligence of Peter and James. So something very strong, very prevailing was going on in Jerusalem. So these two elders, they even got the burden. In ancient time, without the modern conveniences for traveling, they went down and they were bold to teach people, saying, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. It's terrible. This nullifies the entire New Testament. Annulls Christ, annulls his death, annulls his redemption, annulls his resurrection, annulls his ascension, annulls everything he taught. Could you believe, dear saints, that Peter and James could or would tolerate such a kind of heresy? I must blame Peter and James strongly. They didn't guard the truth. They didn't contend for the truth. So don't think that Paul was too strong. Dissension. Not on discussion. Dissension. Surely everybody has to keep a dissension there. How could we go along with heresy? Saying that we cannot be saved unless we are circumcised according to Moses' teaching. We have to raise up a dissension. We say, forget about it. You are not our brothers. Ron, in a way, this is a difficult point to discuss because there's the implication that uh, Peter and James, who were the leading ones at that time in Jerusalem, might have been somewhat exposed, to some degree at least, in allowing this issue to become a problem for the Gentile believers in the first place. What are your thoughts here? We know from the earlier accounts in Acts that Peter himself went through a struggle. But God prevailed, 
and he went into the house of Gentiles, and he associated with them for the sake of the gospel. We know from Galatians 2 that Peter would even have meals with Gentiles. We do not know, as far as Acts is concerned, the confines of the book, how far Peter advanced in the transfer. We know from his epistles that he did. But with James, it's another matter. In chapter 15, the Spirit used James, who was not like the man in charge, but used him as the vehicle to speak forth the decision made as a result of all of the discussion. But with James's wording, you can see an element of mixture. They're deciding something for the sake of the Gentiles, releasing the Gentiles from the obligation concerning circumcision and the Mosaic law. But it was very clear that there was not the thought, oh, we Jews, we're in another realm. We're in another dispensation. We should stop this. This is over. There's no sign, no indication that this occurred to them. And that's made really clear in Acts chapter 1, which we will study later, when Paul comes to Jerusalem again. He tries to give an account of what the Lord had done through his work and ministry. And James, in effect, says, very good, praise the Lord. Now, let me tell you about our situation. There's a huge number of Jews who believe, and they're all zealous for the law. And now they're going to find out that you're here. This is going to be a problem. So you see the situation? Yes, they released the Gentiles. And that was a great relief to the Gentiles. When the letter was read among them, written by the apostles and elders, they could thank the Lord. They could stay in the realm of grace. No circumcision. No law of Moses in the ceremonial sense. Nevertheless, and we're looking ahead, the mixture, especially with James, continued. We see it in his epistle. If we can read it without bias and with a clear spiritual view, the mixture is right there. And this may come as quite a startling statement to many. This mixture in Jerusalem was incurable. On the one hand, the Jewish people, and speaking of their religion, rebelled against God's New Testament economy, refused to believe in the Son of God, rejected him, so the Lord's word concerning the destruction was fulfilled. But also, the mixture in the church in Jerusalem was incurable, and the only solution was to terminate not only the temple and the things related to it, but the church there. This shows how crucial this matter of the dispensational transfer is. When our Lord Jesus began his ministry, he began to turn the age, repent and believe in the gospel. He brought in a new age. Through his death and resurrection, we're now in the age of grace. In Acts, that had to be worked out gradually. Peter eventually made it 
Paul eventually made it, but the mixture remained. So now back to the focus of this particular message. It is on the issue covered or addressed in chapter 15 regarding what is necessary concerning salvation. The Bible speaks about the common faith, the faith once for all delivered to the saints, and also the common salvation. So at least that matter was settled as far as all the Gentiles are concerned. And it seems that even the majority of the Jewish believers recognized you don't have to be circumcised to be saved. You don't have to keep the Mosaic law to be saved. But they wanted to remain what they were. They wanted to have a mixture. So that's what they got. And the Lord responded to it according to his sovereign governmental administration. Let's go back to more of Witness Lee. We shouldn't consider the church in Jerusalem as a headquarter, as the head church, controlling all the other churches. Jerusalem was not the headquarter, neither the church there was the controlling head church. Forget about it. Then you may say, why Paul and Barnabas were sent from Antioch to Jerusalem? The thing happened in Antioch, why they had to go to Jerusalem? Because it is clear that the source of the problem is in Jerusalem. At this time, listen, certain men from the sect of the Pharisees who had believed rose up from among them saying, it is necessary to circumcise them, the Gentiles, and charge them, the Gentiles, to keep the law of Moses. Then there was a gathering. The gathering was with uh, the apostles. You know, the apostles are universal. The elders, the elders are local. They came together to deal with this problem, just to deal with the current, the source still there. So they had to go to the source. And this doesn't mean that the church in Antioch regarded the church in Jerusalem as its head church. Then, another point, there was not one presiding the council. I don't like to use the word council. This was not a council, just a fellowship. Just a gathering for the fellowship. Why? There's no one presiding there. You see? No one presiding. Could you see this? Then you say, no one presiding. If you say no one presiding, I say there was one presiding. Who was the one? The Holy Spirit. Because later on, they told us in the writing, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. So in the writing, they pointed out the Holy Spirit was there presiding. And no doubt, using the modern terms, no voting. Was there any voting? In other words, there was no democracy, neither autocracy. What was there? Just the fellowship in the spirit. Autocracy or democracy shouldn't exist in the church life. What should exist in the church life should be just fellowship in the spirit. Ron, this is, I think, a landmark chapter because it gives us the account of the first major problem or difficulty 
within the fellowship of the church. And there's a pattern displayed here for how we should handle such problems. What are the key things that we can learn from this account about how churches should deal with difficult problems? Okay, there are a few elements here. If we read the chapter carefully, we see there was much discussion, but no arguing, okay? No fighting. Everyone was free to present their view, beginning with those from the party of the Pharisees, then Peter's company, and Paul's company. So there was an atmosphere, you could say, of genuine discussion. Eventually, the record clearly says, they arrived at one accord. They had the oneness of the Spirit, which they kept. Now, they arrived at one accord. Another element is honoring the Word of God. James quoted the Word of God, indicating it's the infallible Word of God, decisive concerning truth. Then a third element is that clearly we may say the moderator of this gathering was the Holy Spirit. The headship of Christ was honored. So you have an atmosphere of fellowship without debate, without argument, without rancor or anger, in which everyone could present his view, his understanding of the matter. In order for them all to arrive at one accord, including the Pharisee party, indicates some resilience, some flexibility, some recognition of the Spirit's guidance. So you have an atmosphere of fellowship without arguing. You have the honoring of the Word of God. You have the Holy Spirit as the head. This is the way to address crucial matters like this. No one's in the flesh. No one is angry. No one goes away separating. Eventually, all are in one accord. The Holy Spirit is honored. The Word is honored. The letter is written. And the Gentiles rejoice. This is a pattern. All servants of the Lord and genuine elders and churches need to recognize and learn to practice. It seems in this day and age, we're more likely to settle for some kind of negotiated or political settlement in the Christian church. But the Lord is really faithful to bring us back to what seems good to the Holy Spirit. Ron, thanks for being with us today. Really appreciate your fellowship. You're welcome, Chris. And we appreciate your being with us as well. I'd like to point out that this life study, in fact, the whole series of the Acts life studies, are full of insight and many kind of hidden things that are being brought out that help us very much today. So I'll recommend, as we often do, that you contact us either for the printed messages or to find out how you can read them for free online. Our toll-free number is 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. For Ron Kangas, I'm Chris Wild. We hope you enjoyed this program. For more information on Witness Lee and Watchman Nee, please visit our website, lsm.org. Again, that's lsm.org. Thanks for listening today.